good to be back uh, with you this morning. Um, those tissues could be because uh, it's an emotional sermon or because I'm still recovering from sickness last week. You'll just have to wait and see. Um, maybe it's both. But uh, it's good, uh, good to be here with you guys today. Uh, we had already planned on Colonel Rob uh, covering for me last Sunday. I was in Orlando for work. Uh, during the week, and then we uh, chaperoned, uh, Mel and I helped chaperone uh, the youth that rocked the universe, and someone uh, told me that I just must not be able to hang with the big kids anymore, because uh, getting home at 2 o'clock in the morning was not, it was actually 3 o'clock in the morning, it was not a good formula uh, for health, I guess, so, um, but it was a good time with them, it was good to, uh, to watch last week on Facebook, and uh, to really just enjoy uh, being able to still be with you, even though I wasn't in the room with you. Um, I do want to remind uh, you guys that we do have uh, on version. you can follow along uh, with, uh, with the notes. So if you have the version app, you can search under events. You just hit uh, more and then events and <clears throat> just search Kings Avenue Baptist Church and you'll be able to find uh, today's notes uh, in slides there as well as in the back of the bulletin. I do want to just give a quick recap for those uh, from last week around to take over. If we continue along the old path, Think about the damage that that does to the message. Think about the damage that that does to the gospel. Instead of working for or with Christ, we are working against him. Instead of drawing people to the Lord, we are pushing them away. We know that revival comes as we grow in our walk. You know, our lives are revived through the Holy Spirit, and then that affects our homes and our families and, and this church and then our community and then the nation and the world. But we must see a passion for the gospel come uh, come with that life that the Spirit brings. And this is really a great segue into our message. A lot of time in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 37 today, uh, studying about the Valley of Dry Bones and how God brought revival to that situation, the lessons that we can learn uh, from that. But before we dive in, let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer and just surrender this time, surrender our hearts and our minds, our spirits, everything that we came in the door with. Let's lay it at God's feet. And just allow him to speak to us uh, today. Father, we come to you today, Lord. And we thank you for your son. God, I thank you for just your power and your truth and your love. And that you have something to say to each and every one of us today, God. That there is something that you would want each of us to do. That your spirit would speak so plainly and clearly to us. And that we know the action that you are calling us to. Help us to hear the word and do the word, Lord God, so that the reflection that people see is not us but you. Father, we pray that we understand that this is an open invitation to life. Let us accept and receive that invitation and walk revived by you, Lord God, not just today but forevermore. We thank you, Father, for your word, and we look forward to what you're going to do in this time, Lord, but in us and then through us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So about 15 years ago, there was this new concept in public performance art. You'd be sitting at a restaurant, you'd be sitting in the mall, you'd be sitting at Disney World, and all of a sudden just this massive mob of people would join together and they would start dancing or singing and just acting, in my opinion, strange. Uh, but, you know, they would just do this for a few minutes, they would perform for a moment, and then all of a sudden they would just disperse leaving no evidence that they were there except for the confused looks on the faces of the people that were watching. And I, I believe that we can agree when we say that we need revival, that we want revival in our lives, we want revival in the church, we want revival in our community, we want revival in our nation. But my fear is that when we talk about revival, this is what we're used to. We're used to Christians coming together all of a sudden and there's a, a, a massive and significant move of God and you know miracles are happening, salvations are happening and then after a short period of time we disperse, we return back to our former ways of life with no evidence of change or life ever being introduced into the equation. My fear is that this is what we think about with revival because this is what we are used to. But the Bible does not speak to this kind of revival at all. You see, revival is not about a flash mob situation. God is not looking to bring us to life as a shot in the arm. Rather, he wants us to live revived. From here on out. Because eternal life is about walking in the kingdom life that we receive in the moment we accept Christ as our Savior all the way until we see him face to face 
and then forever and ever and ever after that. And I think that this is very plain in Scripture. And I invite you to to turn with me. We're going to get to Ezekiel in a moment, but turn with me to Psalm 139. And I was telling our, our early service that I will never forget the reference for this one. I'm not always great with scripture references. I mean, I know what the Bible says, but I sometimes forget the address. Uh, but a prime example of this, a couple years ago, we were at camp with our youth group, and um, a couple students came up to me, um, both, you know, separately, but I kind of with the same challenge, just, you know, really questioning about their value, questioning about God's love for them, questioning about, you know, just really the, their own, you know, just identity. And I said, okay, you got it both. I want you to go into your cabin. I want you to read Psalm 39. I want you to just read it because it's so clear about God's love for you. And they come back to me the next morning and they're like, they got these confused looks on their faces and they're like, hey, uh, uh, Pastor John, I, I'm really confused. I, I didn't really get the message. And I'm like, how did you not get the message? Let's, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 30. That's the wrong Psalm. It's the wrong Psalm. <laughs> Something about some battle. I, I don't know, but... Um, so I was like, well, let's turn to Psalm 139, because that's the passage where God really explains the, the love, you know, the psalmist writes. And we're going to read, um, starting in verse 7 all the way through 18. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings uh, of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light be night around me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. And when I look at this passage, what what we see is that God's presence is everywhere. The psalmist writes, he says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I were to go into the heavens, you are there. If I were to go into the depths of the earth, you are there. If I were to fly out over the sea, you are there. Everywhere I go, God, you are there. It's God's will, it's his desire that, you know, we've talked about revival being his, his presence manifested in our life. Well, it's his, his desire for that presence to be manifested in our life every single day because he is everywhere, always. Second Chronicles, remember that his presence re- re- descended on the temple and Paul tells us that we are the temple of God. So it's his desire for us to have that interaction all the time, all the time. He says that, that, that you, you knew me as I was being made as I was being woven together in my mother's womb. So of course, if God had a desire to to be there in that moment, of course it's his desire to be with you forever. And I love verses 17 and 18 where he says, God, if I were to count your thoughts about me, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the shore. I want you just to take a moment and think about the significance of having a God this big of a God that loves you so much that if you were to count or try to count his thoughts about you, you wouldn't be able to because they are innumerable. They're infinite. And not just are his thoughts about you infinite, his thoughts about me are infinite. His thoughts about every person in this room are infinite. His thoughts about every person that has ever ever lived or ever will live are infinite. And what that tells me is that God... He desires not to have just us to be present with him, but to abide in his presence. He doesn't want some impersonal connection. He doesn't want us just to be like aware that he's with us. Rather, he wants us to abide in his presence, to get our life from him. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. Turn there as well. We're going to read verses 5 through 11. This is the night of Jesus' arrest. 
and he's talking to his disciples. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, it is clear to me that revival is not about a flash mob. It's not about a shot in the arm. It's about abiding in God's presence forever and ever. And what do we mean by abiding in his presence? You think about that word coming from you know, the word abode, to find a place to live. And so uh, we are finding our place to live in the presence of God. Now, my house is a few miles that way, and that's where I live. I'm not there right now. So is this the same kind of situation? No. I am finding my life, not just a place to live, but my life in God's presence. It is the source of my life. And that is what we must realize. That is God's desire. When we talk about living revived, it's not just a shot in the arm that gives me life. It's I find my life in him and I want to stay in him so I remain revived. I remain in that place of life. But in order to live revived, I must follow the order of God's word and the power of his spirit. And this is what Ezekiel is teaching us in uh, Ezekiel 37. You see, uh, when when you think about Ezekiel, he was a prophet during the Babylonian exile. He actually lived in Babylon. And much of the book of Ezekiel is about God's wrath and judgment against the people. Now, God made Ezekiel do some very crazy things to demonstrate his message to his people. All because of their rejection of God and their sin and the, the fact that God led them out into exile. But in Ezekiel 37... God wants to demonstrate a promise. He wants to demonstrate a restoration to the nation of Israel about bringing them back together, bringing them back as one nation. And actually, the chapter that we're reading was, was fulfilled in May of 1948. So the, the, the passage that we are reading, we know in the last hundred years that this has been fulfilled because Israel was made a nation again. But just like any revival, just like any, time, any kind of you know, infusion of life, before that there is a time of desolation and darkness and bleakness. And we see this in the first three verses. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out, of the, out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many, of the, very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry." Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. These dry bones represent the nation of Israel, and they are in a very dire and dark and difficult circumstance. It says that God led Ezekiel around the valley, and there were many, many bones. And they were very dry. And the situation is so difficult, God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, God, only you know that. He says, when I look at this situation, God, it is so empty, it's so devoid of life that through human understanding, through human power, through human knowledge, through human strength, I don't see that it's possible. So God, only you know if life can be brought to this situation. These bones, they represent the nation of Israel. And God says in in verse 11, he says that it represents the full house of Israel and they cry out, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. You might be here this morning and you might be, be saying, man, I can identify with that. You might be coming into this room today saying that you feel dry, your bones are dried up, that your hope is lost and you feel cut off from God. If that is you, I I hope that you find life this morning. I hope that God brings his spirit over you, that he just overshadows you 
with, with that life that can only come from him. But we must understand something. You see, the, the, the bones that are in this situation, the reason the nation of Israel is here is because of their sin. The reason that they are experiencing this dryness was because they had rejected God. This physical circumstance was a reflection of their spiritual condition. Their connection with the Lord was cut off because they had rejected him for other gods. They were worshiping other gods in addition to him. And so their bones were dry. The life had been drawn out of them and they had no hope because they had abandoned the Lord. We must understand the connection between our physical circumstance and our spiritual condition. I told you last week, it's not always a judgment. But sometimes we must acknowledge that it might be. For the nation of Israel, this was a judgment. We see this theme uh, demonstrated throughout Scripture. In Isaiah 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he he does not hear. What Isaiah is saying, he says, God's arm, his hand is not so short that he can't save you. God God can, with with his power, with his strength, he can reach you, he can hold you in his hand, he can hear you, he knows where you are, he sees you where you are. But your iniquity, your sin, has cut you off from him. The fact that you've rejected him, the fact that you choose other things above or in addition to him, has prevented him from bringing life to your situation. You might say, well, John, I haven't rejected God. I want to just remind you, you've heard me say a couple times already, that the, the nation of Israel, they weren't just worshiping idols and rejecting God. They were worshiping, worshiping idols and God. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said that you know, they would worship Baal uh, and Asherah and Moloch and other gods because they wanted those gods to intervene in their situation. In essence, saying God Almighty, Jehovah, was not powerful enough for them. And so what they're doing is they're saying, well, I need other things in addition to God to help in my life. That is a rejection of God. That's a denial of his power. To say that there is something else capable to meet your need other than God Almighty. And so in our own lives, we do this. Or we, we, we look to other things, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's our job, whether it's notoriety. Whatever it might be, we look to those things instead of the Lord to meet our need. And when we have done that, we have rejected him. And when we reject him, we are cut off from him. We prevent him from bringing that life. So we we must understand that this is choosing death over life when we do that. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we see that when we make the choice to sin, when we make the choice to choose other things in addition to or above the Lord as our needs, you know, for the to, to have our needs met. We are choosing death over life. We are living in the flesh. And always when that happens, it leads to death. When we are living in the flesh, we are hostile to God. We cannot please him. We must understand then that the devil is a great deceiver. And that when he tempts us, he will not ever present the consequence. He will only ever present the indulgence. He will only tell us this is what you need to do. This is the great thing. This is what's going to make you feel good. This is how you, I mean, you deserve this. But the consequence is is far greater. It is further reaching. And if it is left unchecked, it is everlasting. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, he says, What benefit did you gain from those things that you are now ashamed of? Those things that only lead to death. 
my pastor growing up, I talk about him a lot because I learned a lot from him. He used to say, sin, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Right? Right? If we didn't see a benefit, if we didn't see something to gratify us, if we didn't think it would please us, if we didn't think that it was you know, helpful in some way, we wouldn't do it. But the devil, he never, he, we're never tempted with the full picture. We're never tempted with the full picture. And when we sin, just like Adam and Eve, our eyes are open and we realize the situation that we find ourselves in, a situation that only leads to death. But we have hope this morning. We have hope because even though I might have chosen those things in the past, I can make a different choice today and every day from here, and I can live in the Spirit. Paul goes on in Romans 8. He says, you, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So it's very clear. We might have chosen other things in the past, but today, let us choose Jesus. Today, let us choose Christ. Let us choose to follow after him. Let us choose to let his spirit come inside of us. Let us choose to follow after his spirit's leading, because in that place is life and peace. In that place, in the valley that we find ourselves in today, when we choose Christ The same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead will come into our valley of dry bones and bring the life that Christ received. This is the kind of life that I want to have. And I want to live in that place. I want to be there. But there is an order to how it is brought about. Back in Ezekiel, it says, Then he said to me, God speaking to Ezekiel, Prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now there's something very clear at this initial message to the dry bones. God wants it to be known without a shadow of a doubt that he is the one that is about to move. He says, hear the word of who? The Lord. He says that the Lord will do this. He says, you will know that I am the Lord. The purpose behind the prophecy, the purpose behind the word, the purpose behind the order that is brought with the word is that they will know that God is the one who moved. Why is this important for us? It's because we have to realize that when we reject God, when we make those other choices other than God, that God is going to allow you to get to the point that you realize that he is the only solution. He is going to allow you to experience the consequence of your action to a point that you look up and you say, I am in a valley. My bones are dried up. My hope is lost. And I am cut off and my only way out is God. He will let you get to that place because he loves you and he wants to draw you from there. It's not his will that you stay there. And so he's going to let you come to that place of realization that he is your only solution. Perhaps our first step in experiencing life in our valley is acknowledging that God is Lord and that he is our only solution. There is no drink, there is no drug, there is no amount of TV, amount of social media, amount of promotions, amount of money, amount of relationships, amount of anything that will bring life to you. If you are in the valley, only God can bring you up. I want you to think about how your life might be different over the next seven days if in the times that you would go to the other things that you have historically looked to for life that you look to God. 
If instead of coming home from a difficult day and pouring yourself a drink and getting drunk, what if you spent that same time and energy in the Word? What if you spent that same time and energy in prayer and worship? When you are stressed out, instead of sitting in front of the TV or in front of the computer and vegging out and, and just you know, going to a place of just emptiness, what if in that time you invested in your connection with God? How different would your life be? How much power would you have in your life? How much hope would you have in your life if you chose God instead of the world? He is the only one, the only one that can bring life in your valley. So what we need to see is in that place of darkness, the purpose behind the darkness, the purpose behind the burden is to show us that we must rely on God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the difficulty or the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were uh, despairing of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That sounds a lot like, my bones are dry. I have no hope. I have been cut off. He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who what? Who raises the dead. He says, my burden was so heavy that I was ready to die. My burden was so heavy that I was certain that death was on my doorstep. It was, I was ready. I knew that death was, was coming for me because of what I was experiencing. But that burden was to teach me that God is there to bring me from a place of death into a place of life. Listen to his faith. He says he delivered us from such deadly peril. He did it before and he will deliver us. He has done it before. He will do it again. So on him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. If you are here this morning and you need that kind of hope, if you're under a heavy burden, if you are certain that death is right around the corner, Put your hope in the one that takes you out of the valley of the shadow of death and into the very throne room of God where only the, the eternal life can be provided. Put your hope in him. Put your hope in him. So when Ezekiel prophesied over the bones, what happened? It says, as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. So, there are many scenes in the Bible that I would love to witness. That I would love to have just like be sitting on the, like in the bleachers on the side, watching. And this is one of them. Can you imagine the sound for a moment? So later on, we see that these bones, there are so many of them that when they assemble into uh, you know, the bodies and God brings life, that they are an exceedingly vast army. So this isn't just a few bones. And it's not that these, you know, these bones were already in the form of skeletons. Because it doesn't say there's a valley of dry skeletons. He says there's a valley of dry bones. And then when they respond to the word, that they come together bone to bone, bone to bone, bone to bone, 200 bones for each person all the way representing an entire nation. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine? What we see in all of this, the purpose behind it, is it shows us that God's word brings order. Because there was chaos. There was chaos, just bones everywhere. And God said, prophesy my word over the bones and what did the bones do in response? They got in order. You know what's really neat? You go back to where God said that yeah, I'm going to bring breath and I'm going to put the flesh in the sinews. You know what's not there? God didn't say to the bones, get in order. He just gave them a promise. And the bones responded to the word, enabling the fulfillment of God's promise. Somebody needs to say amen. Because that, that's a good word. When 
when we respond to the word of God, when we get our lives in order to, uh, according to what he says, that enables him to fulfill the promises that he's made to us. We see this in, in Hebrews chapter 4, talking about the power of the word. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now we often, you know, we're familiar with this passage. We know it. You know what part we quote a lot? The word of God is living and active. We follow this trajectory of, of interpre- you know, interpreting this because we see this image of vibrancy. We, with this, we want that kind of life in us. And we're excited about that part. God's word is alive and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay. Oh, it can pierce and divide my soul and spirit. It can divide my joint and marrow. Oh, it can discern my thoughts and the intentions of my heart. Oh, I don't know that I'm comfortable with that. I don't know that I'm comfortable with that. We start to feel threatened by the word. Anybody ever have the word just kind of get sharp on you? Yeah? I hope so. The thing is, what we need to realize is maybe we're not experiencing life when we read the word because we're not allowing it to bring order that, it's, that it intends. Maybe sometimes you've had that kind of face when you've read the Bible and you're like, oh, that's in there? And you turn the page and you're like, oh, I'm just going to ignore that or I'm just going to forget that I read that or that has to be for someone else, Right? But that's not the way it works. You see, when we are threatened by its sharpness, we have forgotten the purpose that it was given. God's word was given to us to be sharp. His word was given to us to separate from us the things that aren't of God. That's the whole reason that he gave it to us. And when we're threatened by it, when we recoil from it, when we ignore it, we are rejecting the Lord. Colonel Rob talked last week about the mirror. James 1 tells us that God's word is the perfect mirror, that when we read it, not only does it give us the reflection of ourselves, but it gives us the view that God has of us when he looks at us. Is God pleased when he looks in your mirror? And if we go away, if we, if we walk away from the mirror of God's word and we don't then do what the word says, what we have done is we have forgotten or we've just basically rejected the truth that God has given us through his word. Paul says in Acts chapter 13, he says that when we reject the truth, we have deemed ourselves unworthy of eternal life. I heard that this week when I was listening to my Bible and I was like, oh man, I wish I could turn the page. That's how often have I looked at something knowing that God was talk, talking to me and tried to move on? You see, the purpose of God's word is clear. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That purpose, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, all so that we might be equipped for the work of God. All so that we would be equipped to do what God has called us to do. Often, though, I think we revere God's word as something to go to when we are sad. And look look to only for encouragement. We look at it as something that we can only find hope in or peace in. We, we, we go get it off of our, of our table and we dust it off and we drop it on the table hoping that it's going to open up to find some random scripture and that's going to help us. Listen, I'm not trying to diminish that. If that has happened with you and God spoke to you, he is powerful enough to do that. But if all I do is look to God's word to make me feel good, I have moved from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the flesh. And the Bible has then become an instrument to gratify 
my flesh. And that is treating God's word with contempt. That is a place that I hope I never find myself. I hope you never find yourself there. Because God's word is useful. There is hope. There is peace. There is life. There is joy. There is love. But there is rebuke. And there is correction. And there is direction. And there is edification. And I want all of it. I want all of it. God loves us too much to just let us believe that we are okay the way we are. He will correct us where we are. So I'll say it one more time. Maybe the reason that we don't experience life when we read God's word is that we don't respond to the order that it brings. This is why Ezekiel spoke two times. So he spoke. And notice God promised that he would bring the breath. He said, I'm going to bring breath into you. I want to put flesh on you. I want to put sinews on you. But when they responded, when the bones responded, what did it say? What did Ezekiel say? There was no breath yet. Why? Because the breath wouldn't come until the bones responded to the word. The life won't come until we are in order according to God's word. And so once the bones got in order according to the word of God, then God told Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet in exceedingly great army. The word for breath or wind, if your translation says wind, is often interchangeable with spirit. We see this in what we just read in 2 Timothy about God's word is, or the word of God is breathed by him and is infused with his spirit. We know that in Genesis, when God created Adam, when he breathed into Adam, he put his spirit in him. We know that when we look at this in verses, uh, the, the verse we just read, and then again in verse 14, that the breath is the spirit of God. And so when God breathed into the nation of Israel, when he will breathe into you, you will receive his life. But I, I want to I just, I want to be a little transparent, and maybe this is only something that is important to me. A lot of times, like, there are specific details that, that I focus on because my mind tends to, to fixate on things. And so I just, the way I say things, to me, has significance. And so I just want to share with you something here. So what I don't want I want you to trust me, okay? Listen to the next few sentences all together. So what I don't want is I don't want God to just infuse my life with his spirit. What I want God to do is come over me with his spirit and replace my life with his life. Okay? Let me, let me, let me help you understand why that's at least important to me. Because if I say, come and infuse my life with your spirit, to me, in my mind, there's still an element of self. I am still holding on to a piece of control. I am still, I'm still at the, at, the, at the steering wheel. It's like, God, I want you to come alongside me so that I can, you know, plug in whenever I need to. That's not what I want, and I believe that's not what God wants. Rather, what I want is I want God's spirit to overshadow me and take my life out and replace with his life. This is, this is the way that, I, this is what it means to live revived. Is that my life is no longer, I don't live according to the flesh anymore, I live according to the spirit because I've made the choice of Christ. Right? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't live by, by, by anything that John would do. I live according to the, to the direction that the spirit gives me. This is very important. Because there is a beautiful and perfect union that we see between the Word of God and, the, and His Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit or the breath didn't come until after the bones responded to the order. Right? So there was no life until the order. And notice that the order didn't bring the life by itself. Right? So there was connection. 
God didn't just send the Spirit, and he didn't just send the Word, he sent them both. And part of the challenge that the nation of Israel was facing was that they thought that they had order. In addition to worshiping these other idols, they're still, to an extent, following the law. They're still trying to to pursue God. They're still trying to live according to the rules rather than going and pursuing a a real connection with the Lord. And God says that he has contempt for those that come to him out of ritual instead of out of love. In Isaiah 29, he says, This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. Their fear or their worship of me is a commandment taught by men. They worship me only based on rules. Amos 5, this is one of those verses that the first time, probably the first ten times I read it, I had that reaction that we talked about a little while ago. It says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. If God were speaking to the church today, I would say, I hate, I despise your services. I take no delight when you come together. And when you read in Amos chapter 5, it goes on. It's not just one verse. And it's because the purpose of their coming together, the purpose of the ritual, was all about them. It was, I'm going to do these things because God says, if I don't, I'm going to be judged. Many people, many churches, many people will come together on a Sunday or on a Sunday night or Wednesday night or or even in their own personal Bible study, they will do it all because they're trying to appease God. They're trying to manipulate him into blessing them. God says, don't waste my time. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. That means that when I read his word, I read it to be shaped and defined by him. I allow his word to order my life so that his spirit can overshadow me and make me alive. This is what it means to to, to walk according to God's word and according to his will. Jesus, in this, uh, he he put it very plainly in John chapter 4. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. He has to go through Samaria. And while, uh, while he stops in Samaria, he stops at a well. And at this well, there happens to be a woman of ill repute. She's been married five times. She's living with a man that's not her husband. She comes out in the middle of the day. And he begins to speak with her. And she's like, why are you talking to me? Like, you're, you're, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. We should not be having this interaction. And Jesus, he continues to have this discussion. And, and finally, she starts to ask him. She's like, well, I can tell you're a teacher. Let me ask about where where we worship, because the Samaritans believed that they could worship on their mountain. The the, the Jews and and the law taught, no, you have to worship in Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. And so they're having this conversation, and Jesus answers this way. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know. Saying, for salvation is from the Jews. Basically, he's saying that as, as Samaritans, you, you haven't been revealed the full truth yet. And so as you worship, you're still kind of worshiping with a veil. As the Jews, we are the, cho- the, the, the Jews are the chosen people of God, and so they had the law that was handed down to them. That's all he's saying, and salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I could go another hour or longer on what it means to worship God in spirit and truth. But let me just boil it down to this in the context of what we're talking about today. God wants us to worship him when we hear his word and we respond to its order. That's truth. God wants us to worship him by allowing his spirit to overshadow us and replace our life with his. That's spirit. God wants us to worship him in a way that we are choosing him and only him. That we are allowing his word to direct our path. That I worship him not so that I can feel good, but so that I can be changed 
into his image. I worship him not so that I can go out and you know, have, have the label of Christian. Rather, I can go out and because of the way that I live and because of the way that I love, people know that I am his disciple. That is what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. And what's, be- what's beautiful in all of this is that when that happens, when we worship in spirit and in truth, Jesus says that we will experience the life that no one else can give. He gives this beautiful picture to the woman that he talks to. He says, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want you just to, just, I, want, I want us to, for a moment, combine the imagery that we've been talking about today. We've been talking about a valley of dry bones. And maybe you are here, maybe you're experiencing dryness, maybe you're experiencing pain, maybe you're under a burden, maybe you feel like you're very dry, you have no hope, you've been cut off, but when you worship God in spirit and in truth, life will come up from within you like a well of living water and bring life in your valley. This is what God promises us in his word. But we must respond to his word. We must respond. It's impossible to get this right all the time. It just is. But you know what? I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. Because I've tried it the other way. I've tried it to, to, to bring, a, a, you know, life to myself through my own power, through my own strength, through anything other than God. And it doesn't work. You're left hopeless. You're left in the valley because God's going to wait until you get to that place where you realize that he is the only solution. So do not put it off any longer. If you're in the valley, cry out to him. Cry out to him. So Living Revived, we have some questions. Have you ordered your life according to God's word? What you read, are you letting it direct how you live? Are you abiding in his presence and walking with him daily? You know, I think about Adam and Eve in this situation. And, I mean, it's one of those things, like, when I get to heaven, I don't think that I'll do this, but right now, at least I think that I might. Like, when I see them, I'm just going to go, like, what were you thinking? Please, help me understand. Because in Genesis, the picture that I read is that once they ate the fruit and they went into hiding, God came to the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, without even seeing God, knew that God was there. What that tells me is he recognized the sound of God walking. He recognized the, the, the experience of being in God's presence. So that tells me that Adam was used to doing this. He was used to walking with God. And he gave up a connection where he walked with God daily for sin. We are faced with the same choice today. You can choose to walk with God daily, or you can choose to continue down a path of sin. We've already talked about which one leads to death and which one leads to life. If you're in the dry valley, I want you to take a sip of the living water that only comes from Christ. Experience the life that he brings. Experience the life that he brings. Not because of the experience, but because of the transformation that will happen. That in the midst of the correction, in the midst of the, of the, of the direction and edification, you will have hope and that you will have peace and you will have life. I'm gonna pray and after we pray, we're gonna have an invitation and I would just ask you to to ask the Lord what he's wanting you to do. What change is he wanting you to introduce into your life right now?
If God is calling you to come and, and, and respond to him, if you want to receive the gift of salvation and you've never done that before, today is the day. Don't, don't put that off any longer. If you need to rededicate your life to God, if you need to just lay down the burden, if you need to repent of the choices that you've been making, there is no better time than now. No better time than now. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. We all need to make this choice today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your son. I thank you, God, that <clears throat> you love us so much that you sent him to this, house, this, this earth, Lord, to make a difference in our life, God, that we would... have the opportunity to be alive. God, through your spirit and through your truth, you bring us from death to life. God, if we are here and we have not responded to the order of your word, if we have not tried to, if we're looking for life without looking to, to make change, if we're not going to let you make change, Lord, show us that today. Show us where we are resisting. Show us what we're holding on to. Show us what we're choosing over you, God. Forgive us of those choices, Lord. Help us to have the boldness to lay those things down and come running into you, Lord. Let us align ourselves with your word, Lord, so that your spirit can overshadow us and make us alive. God, if we've been looking to the order instead of the connection, if we've been looking to the order, if we, if we believe that, well, I hear the word or I'm in church and we think that we're righteous or we think that we're in line with you because of those things, God, convict us of that. Help us to realize that we are made alive by your spirit when your spirit is connected with the truth that we have applied. God, if there's anyone in here today, Lord, that needs to respond to you for the first time or the hundredth time or the thousandth time or the millionth time, that's you this morning. You have no reason to resist. You have no reason to hold back. Come running to him. Come running to him. God, we thank you and we praise you. I just ask God that you continue the work in our lives. God, so that we can go out as your disciples to bear fruit in this world. We love you and we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.